0: This is Trained to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training fitness and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition. Real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now, here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sisman. And welcome back to the Prepare for Performance
1: podcast with your host, Julian Sisman. Today we have Mike Robertson of Robertson Training Systems and IFAST, uh, located in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, Today we talk a little bit about his methods, his background and training, um, why he got into it, um, what he's currently doing as a strength conditioning professional. Um, we t- discuss a little bit about youth athletic training. Um, as you all know, Prepare for Performance, we work with a lot of youth athletes in this podcast. Um, the goal is to learn what other t- strength conditioning professionals are doing and educate um, not only strength and conditioning professionals that listen to this, but also parents and athletes, um, on you know w- the why and how of why it's important to incorporate um, strength conditioning into your daily, and weekly, and monthly training programs. Um, so we we touch on a little bit about his systems, what he does. Um, what he currently is doing as far as a strength conditioning professional um, his methods well um, we also talk a little bit about um, you know youth athletic development we also talk a little bit about specialization and um, why it's happening and how to solve it and um, much much more I uh, hope you guys enjoy thank you and again if you find this podcast helpful, please rate and review after listening to it um, and look for more in the future. We're going to kind of get back into it this year with at least one or two a month. Thank you.
2: So Mike Robertson, I own IFAST, which is my brick and mortar business in Indianapolis. And then I've got an online like consulting business called Robertson Training Systems. So kind of got irons and a lot of fires. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing this like 21 years now, which is crazy to think about. Cause I still think about, you know, when I was just starting five years, 10 years in and, you know, kind of that rush to talk about how long you've been doing it when I hadn't really been doing it that long. So now it makes me feel kind of old, but, uh, yeah, man, uh, like you kind of alluded to, I've got my hands in all kinds of different fires. like, as far as RTS goes, uh, a lot of content creation, uh, for trainers, coaches, rehab professionals. So articles, blogs, video clips, got my own news or my own podcast, so I've got all those things, but then also obviously the brick and mortar business too, where you know I'm still out there training athletes, all shapes and sizes. I mean, right now I've got you know basketball is kind of my thing, but got a I've always had you know a good core group of soccer players that come in. I've got like a race car driver now, which is kind of cool. Got a rugby guy. He's a football guy that converted to rugby. So yeah, it's enough to to kind of satisfy my training ADD. It's fun to have different athletes, and it's like I love. Basketball and soccer, those are the two that have kind of always been nearest and dearest to my heart. But it's really fun to have just some of those other random athletes in because it keeps me keeps me fresh, keeps me engaged, and helps me continue to learn and grow kind of outside of my comfort zone. Sweet.
1: Um, but you did you start IFAT? Is that where you started? Or did you were you like working? you know, at a commercial gym type before or yeah. always private
2: sector? Man, I always talk about it. it's like the most long and winding road to get to where I actually landed. So, uh, you know, I got started training people back in 2000. And at that point in time, I was assist—I was just like an assistant slash volunteer strength and conditioning coach at Ball State. I was working on my master's degree and I actually had a graduate assistantship through the research lab. But I was basically living this double life, right? Because yeah, the research lab is paying me and I'm supposed to be up there and doing stuff on the force plate and all the, the EMG stuff. Like I did all that. But as soon as I was done with my responsibilities there, I'd like beeline it down to the gym because I wanted to work with athletes. Like I knew after I did my internship there, like this is what I wanted to do. So I did that for two years, moved on to Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is like an hour and a half north of Muncie where I grew up. And actually worked at a place called the Athletic Performance Center, which sounds like super dope, right? Like, oh, private center, you get to work with athletes. And unfortunately, it just wasn't that. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So it was in the back of a chiropractic clinic. So I did a lot of rehab, like a lot of rehab. Uh, but, you know, looking back, as kind of miserable as I think I was for those three years for a lot of different reasons, it gave me this really unique perspective on training. Like it gave me this perspective of, okay, this is what somebody that's at, that's injured is like, how do I take them from this injured, uh, if you want to say dysfunctional state and build them back up to return to play. So, you know, I spent my three years there and wasn't in love with it. So I tried to find something better uh, at that point in time, my wife and I moved to Indianapolis. I did three years of one-on-one in-home personal training. Oh, so wow. again, kind of all over the gamut. Um, And these were like the elite of the elite, right? Like if you're looking at Indianapolis, um, 40, 50, 60 year olds, like some of them are like generational wealth. Uh, Some of the people were worth nine figures. You know, we're talking like three homes in three different states, all the toys, all the bells and whistles. Uh, So that taught me a lot about work ethic. It taught me a lot about communication. And the joke that I always have is like the longest minute in your life is the one minute rest period with somebody that you have nothing in common with. (laughs) You know, you got nothing to talk about. You know, I'm like a 20 something year old kid and I'm with this like 50 year old CEO. The guy built his business from the ground up. You know, he's got like three houses, all the cars, you know, like I have nothing in common with that person. So like creating a conversation is tough. Uh, But again, it taught me how to build, you know, those communication skills, uh, build relationships Build rapport with these people that were ultra successful. And I think it also just gave me this healthy perspective of, you know, look, like everybody wakes up every day, puts their pants on the same way. Like these people were incredibly successful, but they were also normal human beings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, three years there, now I'm eight years in. Uh, At that point in time, Bill Hartman and myself have been hanging out a lot. We're like, look, like we're working way too hard for other people. Why don't we just go together, open this gym? And see what we can do. And so, okay. you know, August 4th, 2008, we opened iFast. And uh, 13 and a half years later, here we are. That's awesome. Sweet. Thanks.
1: That's great. So so I'm, I'm assuming iFast is combination of sports performance and rehab kind of like kind of melted together sort yeah. of set up.
2: Yeah, okay. that's, that, that's absolutely how it works. So it is very much this chaotic mix of just kind of how we train people now. Like, I don't think of these like clear delineations of, oh, this is rehab or this is personal training. This is sport performance training. Like if you train at IFAST, you're going to probably see elements of all that. Right. So yeah, we've obviously got Bill doing the physical therapy thing, but a lot of the people that we get are like failed cases. Right. And, And it's everything from Bill gets failed rehabs, you know, as far as our personal training clients go, these are like people that have failed in other environments mm-hmm. because the trainers just tried to put the the round peg into the square hole. Mm-hmm. So we kind of understand and, and kind of peel back those layers up. okay, like these are the issues that you have. How do we create an exercise routine that's safe and effective for you? Mm-hmm. So everything is customized. And like you said, obviously we've got the high level athletes too, and that's cool. And I think that's what a lot of people want to gravitate towards, but most facilities that tout those level of athletes, that's not their only source of income. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to make in a living, uh, a, a true living or support a, a sport performance business solely on professional athletes. Most of the, the facilities that are truly successful, I think have, you know, diversified kind of what they do. But of course, on social media and that sort of thing, it's always helpful to tout, oh, I trained a Cy Young winner or an NBA all-star, whatever the case may be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's funny you said that cause I just had a conversation with a trainer about that. Um, yeah. you know they, you know, I, I've, I've been doing this now. I mean, not nowhere near as long as you, but, uh, you know, I've gone from private to commercial back to like doing my, like, and then I started my business as mm-hmm. uh, r- private and, you know, every, both of the places prior to this and just other experiences, like internships and things like that, it's like the same conversation. You know, it's, yep. you know, I train these athletes, but at the end of the day, like, you know, the, you know, the adult population is, you know, a, a you know, why a I'm- A good here, driver of your another, business. <laughs> another driver of the business. So, yep. um, you know, For I sure. always had that in the back of my head, like, okay, I got to figure out a way to incorporate both um into you know what I do now. Yep. So um as far as like the athletic <clears throat> performance stuff, you know, you know, I work, you know, majority of you know businesses like ours, we work with the population of like, you know, eight to you know high school, sometimes I mean obviously college when they come back. Yep. But 99 yep. percent of the time we're working with young athletes. Yep. You know, in your personal opinion, like what is you know what is something that you see that most of these athletes you know when they come to you you know one wanting sports performance like what is yep. what is one at thing that they that you see that they need the most like yep. that you know if they've gone like you said they might have gone somewhere and they failed um yep. or didn't have a good experience or you know or it's coming to you for the first time as like hey i've never done this before like you know, I want to get better at my sport, be more athletic and things like that.
2: Yep. Yeah. So, so I'm going to answer this in two different ways. I'm going to give you like a training related goal and a non training related yeah, yeah. goal. Okay. Ooh. So, the training related goal almost universally is speed, like, like, period, point blank. The kid that runs the fastest 10 or has the 40 inch vertical in high school isn't coming die fast for training, right? but they're already fast and explosive. Like that's not like their limiting factor. Maybe they need a skills coach. Um, But I can tell you like 95%, I'll I'll drop that. I'll say 90% of the consults that I do with parents of young athletes goes like this. Hey, little Johnny is amazing at, insert sport here, right? Mm -hmm. Soccer, basketball, football, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They are very skilled, but they are not, And then fill in the blank for explosive enough, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Like they can't jump high enough in volleyball. They're not fast enough in soccer or basketball or football. Uh, They've got heavy feet. Like you figure out a way to describe somebody that's slow and that's who we're getting. Yeah. Right. Because that's their limiting factor. Yeah. Um, The other 10% for us are generally people that are injured, right? So they've done PT or rehab or something. And they want to get back into performance. But legitimately, 90% of these calls, and I've done hundreds over the last couple years, is from concerned parents that know speed is a limiting factor for their child. It's the differentiating factor between them playing and not. So that's why they end up with us. So that's that's like my training-related goal. And then if I have to give you a non-training-related goal, it would be to make training fun. And I think one of the things that we talk about a lot and I want to make sure that this really hits home for people is like kids aren't many adults Mm -hmm. and adults are in there kind of because they have to, right? Like a lot of your gen pop clients know like I'm overweight or I'm out of shape or, you know, I'm not doing the things necessary to keep up with my body. A lot of times the athletes, especially the young athletes, some of them want to be there. I would say over time, most of them want to be there, but a lot of times they're there because their parents want them to be. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do that, make sure that's a, an enjoyable experience for those kids. Yeah. So we always try and find ways to incorporate games, make it fun, make it competitive. So when they walk out of there, yeah, they got a great training effect, but they feel like, man, that was really fun. I want to go back to IFAS. Yeah. So,
1: when we, all right. So kind of going off that, that answer of uh, the second part, we mm-hmm. talk about, we talk about games, like mm-hmm. you play, do you do like you know, stuff on the turf where it's like speed related games, or is it like, you no, know, like, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I can think of so many other games, but like, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming most of it's like speed related. So they get more, uh, acquainted with their body yep. coordination and things like that. Is that where sure. you would, you would, you would say,
2: yeah. And we mix it up, right? Like, so certain days, and, and again, I'll even do this with some of my pro guys, right? Like sometimes we'll do speed work and yeah, we're going to do like, I call it waterfall tag, but basically one guy goes and the guy next to him can't go until the first guy goes. So they're reacting to a stimulus, right? And then they're sprinting. So you can do stuff like that. You can do mirror drills, which even it's crazy. Like these 20 something year old guys uh, and my like college age girls, like they get into that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like they don't want to get juked. Even yeah. in something silly like in the gym, right? Because they're competitive. Yeah. So we can do stuff like that. Uh, but we can also do stuff where it's like wall ball, which is basically like handball, right? We play it with a spike ball. We play spike ball. Uh, I bought pickleball, right? Well, it doesn't work because it, there's uh, the, the turf like deadens the ball too much. But it's like anything that gets them to react quickly, anticipate, make a short burst, a short, quick move. Like all those things carry over to sports, Yeah. So we just try and, you know, mix it up and make it fun. But yeah, if you can incorporate gameplay where they can compete and they have to work and and move quickly in small spaces, I think that can be very powerful for making your athletes faster and keeping it fun. So,
1: okay. And
2: then not changing topic, but going to say you have
1: a kid that comes in um, and wants to do more like one-on-one stuff. Like how are you Mm -hmm. incorporating sort of like speed related stuff? Um, cause again, like I'm sure most kids have done some type of PE related things like that, but like yep. you always, uh, how, how are you incorporating that into a, like a one-on-one session? Um, if that ever occurs and then if like, um, or do you suggest like, you know, Hey, like we have these classes or yeah. training, like it's just better for you to train like that. Just the way that we incorporate programming and st- and trying to relate it to the sport.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good question. Uh, I don't, I don't shy away from one-on-one training, but like the longer I do this, the more I enjoy at very least semi-private, um, mm-hmm. with young kids though, I really like a group environment. Yeah, whenever possible, right? Because I feel like there's more energy. Um, you know, even if one kid is kind of off or tired or whatever, somebody in that group's got some juice, right? And, and it it's less reliant on me bringing the energy, yeah. right? Like one on one, especially if you're working with kind of like a more laid back, relaxed client or athlete. Yeah, you're the one that has to bring the juice, and sometimes yeah. that can be exhausting. Um, so whenever possible, I try and put them at least in a group of two. Uh, but if possible, especially with that age group, like eight to 18, if I can get three or four in a group, I feel like everybody enjoys the session more. There's more energy. They work harder. There's more competition. You know, there's just very few drawbacks. You don't get to see maybe every second of every rep, but I would make that trade off for all the good and positive things that happen when you're in that bigger group environment.
1: Um,
2: is there, Okay. Is there anything that
1: you, uh, often deal with as, or not really deal with, but like, um, you know, over, over the course of, you know, your 20 years, like what, what with, especially with young athletes, like, do you see that's like overlooked by, um, you know, some, some other strength coach, if a kid is coming from somewhere else Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, is it like some type of movement deficiency that people don't commonly see that, Um, you know, you, you feel that is, Hey, like, you know, I'm seeing a lot of this now, like, especially with this sport or whatever, like, um, do you see that there's some common overlooked sort of like, you know, movement speed, uh, strength, um, you know, cause like uh, the reason I asked that is cause You know, back in the day when like me and you were growing up, there wasn't like all this social media and like all these things that, you know, kids are sort of spending their time on. So we're more outside, like doing, you know, all these skill, like random biking and running and doing all these things. Right. And then I look at the and then I look at the the kids nowadays. Um, you know, there's they're they're so they're more stationary and they're not as in the P classes at schools aren't as you know, they used to be. So I'm just curious. It's like, you know, I see certain things. I'm just curious, like from your standpoint, like where you live, is is there things that you see when you come in you're like, Oh, that's something, you know, seeing more of, I guess you would say.
2: Yeah. This is a great question. And again, I'm going to give you kind of two thoughts here. The first one is just as a whole. Uh, and I hate to, to sound kind of negative, but just as far as general physical preparation goes, we are deteriorating as a society, right? Like there's just more stuff you can do that doesn't involve movement in life, right? Like you can watch TV, there's Netflix, you can play video games, you can hang out indoors. Like, you know, every kid has a screen or a device that they can interact with. Right. So you have that first part of it, right. Where kids are just moving less Um, combined with the fact that when they are moving, a lot of times it's very scripted, right? So like free play is not a thing so much anymore, but you have to go to soccer practice four days a week or baseball practice five days a week and do these drills. So they, they become almost robotic in their movements, right? So we've got a smaller movement foundation layered on top with more sports specific skill and then by the time they get in the weight room, every strength coach, not every strength coach, that's an exaggeration, but most strength coaches look through this lens of strength and force development, right? Like I if I just get this kid stronger, I will fill in the blank.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? They'll be faster, stronger, more powerful, whatever. Which isn't a great thing either, right? Because if you got a kid that doesn't move well and then you start loading them up with weight, we know heavy strength training reduces freedom of movement, right? Especially if they don't have great movement to begin with. Mm -hmm. So it's like this very vicious cycle. So, you know, there's multiple stops along the way, right? Like, Hey, we need our kids to go out and just play more. That would be step one. Step two is, Hey, that's great that they want to play these sports, but within the sports, like try and find ways to mix it up. Right. So they're not just playing the same position or doing the same skills all the time. You know, when they get in the weight room, Nobody says there is not like a 10 commandments of strength and conditioning that says every 14-year-old has to go in the weight room and back squat and bench press and power clean. Mm-hmm. So like there's just there's room for improvement all along that continuum mm-hmm. uh, and I wish I had like a solution to all of them but you know for right now it's like trying to educate the people that might interact with those kids along the way and say hey look maybe here's some things that we can do better. To give these kids better long term results.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because I had a I know a PE teacher at the local high school that I used to go to, and I went back, and he invites me back every once in a while, and they do like futsal indoors. And so I was watching, and then we just got talking about like just PE in general. I'm like, so how? Like one thing I noticed is like I know this is kind of weird, but no one was like changed into their like PE clothes. And I was like, why are they not changed? He's like, Oh, you know, they really don't have to do much of anything anymore. I'm like, okay. And then I was like, can you give me an example? And he's like, well, I mean, for example, like, I mean, this is kind of go hand in hand. What we're talking about here. It's like when they go to the weight room, uh, and we do a weight training class, they don't have to weight train. I was like, what? what? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, they just have to tell me how to do a certain movement. Like yeah, they don't okay. have to yeah. physically like do it. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, man, that's all they have to do now to pass. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's that's crazy. So right there it just gets it got me thinking. And then another, you know, and then on top of that, it's like I'm getting a lot of uh, people reaching out to me, not really wanting sports performance related you know, workouts, just like, Hey, my kid is, you know, overweight and I want him to be more active and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's just like, uh, it's, you know, it got me thinking like, okay, you know, there's a, the problem that I saw is like starting to actually happen as we speak. And, uh, it's, I think it's getting worse and it's, uh, I'm just curious, like how, if you get those type of phone calls, just like, Hey, my, you know, it's not crazy athletic, but uh, you know, I want them to, you know, exercise more basically.
2: Right. Look, that is arguably the biggest market out there. It's not something that we've pushed, but I guarantee you if you can educate people as to why that's important or that you're there and that that's something you're offering, Mm -hmm. that is a goldmine because I don't know where you live. But, like, sports are so competitive where I'm at, right? Like, we've got just major suburb after major suburb. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I'll tell you this. The the local high school is pretty good at baseball, like, the one that's, like, five minutes from where I live. Okay. And, like, if you're playing varsity on that team, you're playing somewhere in college. Like, Like, very high likelihood, right? So, what they did was, like, there's the kids underneath them, right? They got cut because they're not good enough to play at that school. And almost all of them could go play division three baseball. Mm -hmm. Like that's how competitive it is. Right. So this is what happens is like these kids have to start sports so early. They have to specialize so early that now it's like, Hey, by sixth grade, Susie doesn't want to play soccer anymore. Right. Or she gets cut because she's not on the travel elite team Mm -hmm. at 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So like all these kids are getting kicked out of sports at an early age. They need something to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's where we could really like make our mark. Like, it's great uh, to work with these kids that are playing sports and that are active, but I think there's a huge market for the kids that are underneath that, that maybe they're not quite skilled enough to go make the soccer team or the basketball team or the baseball team, but they want to be fit. They want to play. They want to have fun. And that's a great time too, to start teaching them all those fundamentals of movement, Mm -hmm. right? Of basic strength training. You start with their body weight, right? Internal load, that sort of thing. But I think that's a right market. And, you know, it may be something that we start to shift our emphasis toward in the future, because the other downside to working with these these team sports athletes is where do they come to you, Mm. right? If they're playing travel soccer four or five nights a week and they're practicing 90 minutes to two hours, you know, and I know how these off seasons are, right? I I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with coaches or parents. They're like, oh, she's got an off season coming up. I'm like, yeah, how long is it? 4 weeks. Oh, but hey, but we have these two showcases on these weekends. I'm like, that's not an off season. Right? An off season is like 3 or 4 months. Yeah. So, I think there's a huge opportunity for that. You yeah. know, that kind of they're not elite, they're not making these high-level teams, but maybe they want to play rec. Mm-hmm. They want to have fun. And it's something where you can continue to educate them with movement and just making things fun and engaging. Like that's a ripe market if you ask me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I live outside of DC and it's, it's very like, uh, it's <laughs> I'm very, sure it's
2: hyper competitive. Yes. It's,
1: it's, it's, it's non, it's crazy out here. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's very similar, uh, to, uh, you know, the area that you are in. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you hit everything on the on the nail as far as like, there's literally no off season. Um, the conversations are, you know, when you have like a time frame of like, you know, four to six weeks, like try to get in, in as much as you can, you know, that right. that's a conversation. And then the second conversation is, you know, I, I highly recommend that, you know, you try to come once a week if you can. Right. Um, yeah. cause you know, I I hate to see like you do all this work in four to six weeks and then, you know, me mean, you know, you know, best that like, if you don't come or train or do anything for another three, four months, like your gains are gone. And I've, yeah. I literally saw it like just this past winter when I had some college kids come back and I know where they left off. Cause I recorded everything when they left for college mm-hmm. and they come yeah. back in and they could barely get to like, you know, you know, tribe bar deadlifting, like, you know, a half of what they were doing before. And uh-huh. I asked them, I was like, what are you guys doing in college? And these are D1 universities that most of yeah. these people are at. Yeah. So it, it it's just interesting, you know, how, you know, we see it uh, from the private sector and then seeing these college, college universities, high level, and then you know, the young athletes and trying to, you know, navigate through all these people, um, you know, what what's best for them. Cause I know I'm sure you deal with the same conversations. It's it's hard to get these parents to understand that like, as much as the sport is important for you to get to potentially play in college, like I hate to it to you, but like 1% of these kids are going to make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, how, how, you know, we look at it, how we look at it versus the parents. And then, coming from, you know, college as well.
2: Yeah, there's so, definitely an education process there. Yeah. You got to educate lot, them on lot. the realities of, hey look, I don't care how good little Johnny is. Like 1% chance and then it's like 0.001 or whatever, something ridiculous to be a professional. Yeah. So I know everybody exactly. thinks, oh man, this kid's got the juice when he's 7 years old, but it's a long way to go, champ. So so give
1: me your your point of view on that. Like, I know, I know it's a big topic and i you know, you've been doing this now for almost, you know, like you said, 20 some years. So I always have this conversation with parents about, you know, getting, getting to this like specialization. Uh, you know, I, I had Mike Boyle on here as well. And I asked him the same question. So I'm sure it's very similar, but you know, you guys are in two different places, you're dealing with yep. di- different types of demographics and things and, and people. So, you know, what's, what's, what is your say on that?
2: Yeah. You know, look, I I think there's like the idealist in me that was like, "Oh, that's dumb, and I wish we would stop doing it." But then there's also the realist in me that that understands like, "Look, these clubs are like forces of nature, <laughs> right? And they have these parents and these kids so brainwashed that if little Johnny takes one season off of a of baseball, he's going to be behind the rest of his peer group and he's never going to catch up." So, the the way that we've tried to pitch this and the way that that we've tried to align ourselves is look, when it comes to the clubs that we associate with, I try and associate with the clubs that have a long-term approach to sport. Right. So for instance, there's a local baseball club. Uh, My neighbor actually is kind of works with them, but I really like how they do things. So yeah, they're going to play travel because you can't, you can't get away from travel baseball, right. Or travel soccer, whatever. You can't get away from it, but what you can do is find, uh, leagues where they do play less games, the travel demands are less rigorous, where they maybe don't guarantee, but they assure that kids are going to play multiple positions. They're going to move around. They're not going to get pegged as the shortstop when they're eight years old, you know, until they get to high school and realize everybody wants to play shortstop. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So they kind of hedge their bets there, right? Like they're going to try and develop the athlete to the best that they can. But the other thing that we're going to try and do is we're going to try and pitch ourselves as their secondary sport. And this is something Ty Terrell who worked for us for like, geez, I think five or six years at iFast, used to always promote like, look, it would be great if they played a different sport every season. Like yeah. that's what I grew up doing. Uh, that's what I make my son do is, Hey, look, we're going to play soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter. We're going to play baseball in the spring. So you get to do all these different things. Well, if you're not going to do that, find some way to make yourself a more well-rounded athlete. And that's where we kind of promote what we do, right? Like, Hey, look, you're going to do these five things all the time in baseball. We're going to give you these 20 different skills that you don't get in baseball to make sure that you're a more well-rounded, robust athlete as you age. So that's kind of how we're trying to do it. I, I mean, again, the idealist in me wishes I could shout from the rooftops and tell all these parents and coaches like, Hey man, they're seven, eight, nine years old. Let them play different stuff. Let them enjoy sports. Let it be fun. But, you know, I mean, half the times it's these parents living vicariously through their kids that are the real problem. Yeah. You know, they're like trying to relive their glory days or they're trying to get, you know, little Susie, the scholarship that mom and dad never got when they were in college. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're fighting a tough battle, but that's kind of how we've tried to do it at IFAST.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, that's actually a really interesting perspective because, um, you know, I coached like U8 uh this mm-hmm. past season and it's like the same thing. Like, I just, the, the thing about the thing I feel really bad is, you know, these parents, they pay into these clubs and they pay so much money. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and there's no like direction from the club either. Yep. And it's, and, and it's, it's just unfortunate. Cause like, you know, you, you, me as the coach, I'm like talking to them. Like, do they like tell you like, what's the next step after like this age group, like this age, like there's no conversation. And I mean, except for the, some of the parents that have like, have had kids go through the system already. Yeah. And, and then you have to, and then. I get some of those kids. I've gotten some of those kids and it's just, you know, so much, so many injuries. Um, and then you have a conversation of, have you done any other sports? And it's like, no, I've been playing soccer since I was like four, three right. years old. And I'm like, right. That's crazy. Like why? <laughs>
2: um,
1: and it's, it's funny. Cause like I tell the parents, I'm like, you know, as a young kid, like I, I, yeah, I played soccer year round, but like in the fall or in the winter, like when there was, it was not really serious, <clears throat> which it shouldn't be, um, even though it is still like I was playing basketball, I was playing baseball, like just trying yes. to just incorporate other movements. Yes. And, 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 you know, it's, it, and I'm like, look, you're, you're having a conversation with a professional that like is, does this for a living and like reads research and has conversations with coaches that have been doing this for 20 some years, plus years, and they're going to say the same thing you. Um, but again, like you said, it's just, you know, the, it's like their, their heads are like wrapped up into this, like thinking this, their kid is going to turn out to be, you know, the next somebody, but yes, like you
2: said, like a very small percentage can even get there. So. Yeah. It's, it's just like this, this rat race. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's definite like parent FOMO. For lack of a better word, it's like, oh man, you know, we're we're really good, but man, if we take you know three months off, like again, Steve's going to be better than Johnny. It's like, you know, that's not how it works, you know. But but again, that's what they think. That's what the clubs are telling them, right? And the the thing that we see here, it's interesting that that you don't get the progression. Like the thing that I see here, and I see it the most in soccer because that's where I I'm the most entrenched coaching wise is if somebody's good and and I coach rec plus, if somebody is good at rec plus, they're just tr- trying to move them to travel immediately. Yeah. Like, oh, this person is one of the best kids in their peer group. They're going to, they should move to travel. Yeah. And so it's almost like they're, they're being pushed in that direction. And then if they don't, they're almost like kind of cast out a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. and And I mean, like what, I mean, what I meant to say was like, if you're in travel, like, <clears throat> you know, especially because like when I play travel, like there was two teams in the age group nowadays, yeah. like, especially around here. Like you're going to have like four or five teams in the oh, age yeah. group. And so there's no like, <clears throat> you know, hey, af- like if I was somebody that was running one of these things, it's like, hey, like this is the progression. This is where you end up after a certain age group. Um, yep. but. It is what it is like, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to change. I think the, the thing that, you know, like you said, it's just kind of educating these parents on, you know, why it's important to develop these skills. Um, and you know, I try to throw in some research, but sometimes it doesn't
2: work out because they're like, it goes over their head. Well, so sometimes here's what we do too, is like, Hey, look, the parent comes in and they're like hot to trot on Susie's going to make it. She's going to be a, she's going to be a college soccer player, volleyball player, whatever. We always try and pitch them on, Hey, look, that's great. And if that's the goal, that's the goal. What we're going to do is we're going to try and give her the best possible uh, outcome based on physical training, right? Like we're going to try and help her run faster, jump higher, do all the things necessary. Uh, But I always try and give them that soft landing as well as like, hey, look, but regardless of whether she gets the scholarship or not, because sometimes you can't always control that, regardless, we're going to give her skills that she can use the rest of her life to take care of her body. And when you talk like that, you know, when you move kind of the goalposts just a little bit, a lot of times parents are like, oh, yeah, that's an important piece too, right? And it kind of helps them. Move off this short term goal of, hey, getting them a scholarship to, hey, I want my child to understand and be able to take care of their body for the rest of their life. Then it kind of zooms out a little bit and gives them more perspective on kind of the role and the value of what we do. Yeah, no, no, I like that. Uh, you know,
1: again, <clears throat> I think it's obviously very important because, uh, again, it's like, Uh, you know, there's life after sports. So (laughs) look at it that way too. You can't just look at like, you know, you know, again, you said a very small percentage makes it to the pro level. So, um, yeah, then, no, that's a great way to, that's a great way to like, look at it instead of just solely focusing on the sports stuff. Um, one other question I have is so, uh, kind of going back to the training aspects, do you have a lot of kids that come in very deficient in like strength and power or is it, or is it just solely focusing on like the speed and you feel like, okay, if we can fix this, like this can kind of work together or, um, or is it like, Hey, if this kid's fast, like we gotta, like, are you able to differentiate? Like, Hey, we need to focus more on here and here. Yeah. Like, how do you, how would you different? Like, are you using some type of assessment to differentiate and stuff like that? Yeah, for sure. We're
2: always going to do not just like a movement assessment, like watching them squat and lunge, push up, all that stuff, but we're going to do a performance assessment too. So we can get an idea of, you know, how fast are they? How high can they jump? Like just getting some of those baseline markers. But I think generally somebody that is is coming in and they're slow, they're generally weak relative to their body size. Not always, but sometimes, right? Or most of the time. So force and strength production is for sure gonna be a part of it. Like the way we set it up is we kind of use what we call the R seven system. So, you know, all these Rs kind of denote a certain point in the workout. So it's like release is your foam rolling, reset is your correctives, R three readiness is your uh your warm up. And then R four and R five are like our speed and power development and our strength development. So we just every person that comes in there is going to touch all those bases. Our athletes are probably just going to spend the most time on R four, which is reactive, all the power and the explosive base stuff. And then R five, which is resilient or excuse me, which is resistance training. And that's just building that strength base. Um, and, and look, a lot of times people are very underwhelmed at least initially because if they've been in like a high school weight room and they're used to every four weeks testing their back squat max, And week one with us, we're just trying to teach you how to goblet squat effectively. It's not super exciting, but hey, look, we're going to teach you the right way to squat like once and for all. So not only are you protecting yourself and building kind of that, that injury buffer, so to speak, but you're building all the right muscles. You're moving more efficiently. So it carries over to when you actually go and you do your speed training as well. So yeah, we're trying to touch all the bases when people come in. Uh, unfortunately people still think of iFast at times as like, oh, they just like foam roll and do breathing exercises and that sort of thing. And I think if they came in and actually watched us train people, they'd have a vastly different viewpoint of how we work with our athletes. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the other thing. It's like, uh,
1: so I've gone through uh, Joel Jameson's conditioning thing, and you know how yeah. you you and Bill talk about reset and like all that stuff, but yep. but again, that's another educational thing that these people don't understand. Uh, and, and I try to, and I I, I I voice this stuff to even my own adult clients about the reset and um, you know foam rolling and why it's important because. Right. You know, uh, most of these kids, you know, going back to sport, it's like, they just go practice because I've seen it. Yeah. Rain and then go home. Yeah. And that's, it's just a cycle like all day, like every single day. There's no, you know, and then they go home, they sit on the couch or sit in front of the TV. And so there's no, like, let's get like the nervous system back, relaxed. Right. Um, And so, and, and, and so from that, you know, educational tool that I have, like I've been trying to incorporate some of that stuff into, at least at the end, if it's not beginning to like reset and do things that's going to help them. Cause like, personally, I've done a lot of it and I've, you know, I think it's been, it's been very beneficial to me, but it also like, you know, I, you know, I work out, you know. Regularly and like do all that stuff regularly, but these kids, it's 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 like a, you know, like very new and yes and so incorporating it to them, it's like okay, why am I doing this? It's always the question, right, right. And and people don't understand that like you're you're not making your gains in your your everything that you've put in. Like it's not happening until you can get that body to come back to like
2: you know. Baseline. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, because everybody thinks training is just like an Instagram highlight reel, <laughs> right? Like if you're not throwing a medicine ball as hard as you can, jumping on the highest box possible, maxing out on all of your lifts every day, like you're not training hard enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, again, that's, we get into a whole discussion about social media, but like, that's the lens that people look at training through now. Yeah. And it's like, eh, but if you took a step back and you watched that whole session, there's probably a lot of low level stuff or stuff that's not exciting that builds up to that one specific moment. Yeah. Right. So it's like getting away from this like Instagram social media highlight reel training all the time. It's like, man, a lot of the nuanced stuff or a lot of the the more basic stuff is where you should be focusing the bulk of your time and attention.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's um, yeah. I mean, totally, I totally get it. And I think, that the, the, the stuff that you guys taught in that, that course was, was phenomenal because like, you know, the breathing itself, like the impact that it makes on the body, which is, which is crazy. Um, it's, you know, especially being able to like hit, you know, it's as long as you like can put your brain into certain areas. Yep. Um, it's crazy. Cause Um, you know, you have all these people, you know, I have people that come in here that, you know, random pains here and there. And we do some of those breathing stuff and, and then boom, it's like gone. And it's like, yeah. And then I'm like, then I'm like, look, you got to like do this. We got to do this every day. It's not a one-time thing because your body's going to quickly, you know,
2: go to the easiest path to feel okay. Right. Yeah. Everybody's going to default to whatever their, their normal is. Right. So when you're building something new like that, yeah, repetition and frequency is definitely your friend.
1: Do you do stuff? I mean, I'm assuming you do, but like, how do you incorporate that with the kids though? Cause like, you know how like, they're like, they want to get in and out, you know?
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so the great thing is, you know, a lot of time when you have kids, they're, they're not as movement skilled as I would like, right. Or maybe not as movement skilled as generations past, but they're still way more malleable than mm -hmm. a 30 or 40 or 50 year old client. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times you don't have to do some of the static stuff mm-hmm. you can do, uh, you can do more dynamic stuff, right? Like just a backward sled drag or walking backwards up a set of stairs, like stuff like that is all you need to kind of reset their body. Or sometimes it's just taking them through like a really well-rounded and progressive warm up. kind of get stuff moving the way that you need to, yeah. you coach them up on areas where they're dysfunctional or where they're not moving the way you'd like. And then you're off to the races too. So I just find that a lot of times, again, it's like teenage and like middle school age kids, they're not young adults. So you can't train them the same way. Like adults have more wear and tear. They're more set in their ways and their postures. So sometimes they need a lot more like hand holding. They need a lot more like specific resets versus with kids. A lot of times, if you just introduce them to different movements and different movement patterns, a lot of stuff shakes free and you're moving pretty good. Are they doing, uh,
1: breathing too, or is that mostly like the adults?
2: Uh, we'll throw some in for sure. But one thing we're not going to do is belabor the point, right? Yeah. So some of our adults may need two or three different resets with our athletes. We may choose one activity. We're going to do two sets of five breaths and then we're into the workout. So it's like a minute, minute and a half of their time. And then we're off and running. Okay. Cool. And I mean,
1: I'm assuming your sessions are what, like 60 to 90 minutes, or are they
2: like man, for most of our kiddos, fifty to sixty minutes, honestly, okay yeah, yeah, I figured
1: cool um well, i mean you've hit you've hit a lot of topics today <laughs> <laughs> that I like to cover, so uh you know, I'd like to end this with like a little every time with some you know you know tips strategies for you know I know we talked a lot about uh you know, the athletes, um, even if it's, if it's incorporating both the athletes and adults, like, what are some tips and strategies that you find that are very effective, um, you know, on a daily basis for them to continue to be successful in the gym. Um, and then, you know, you know, and then sort of talk about
2: like where people can learn more about, like get more information about you and stuff like that. For sure. Well, if I can leave you with one thought, it would be this is it's very important. And you figure this out the longer you do this to figure out every person's why. Mm -hmm. So here's what I mean by that. Like every person that comes to you has a certain reason that they're there, whether they're willing to expressly say that to you or not. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, the, the woman that comes in that's 50 years old and wants to lose 20 pounds You know, the 20 pounds, there's deeper levels to that, right? Maybe she's self-conscious. Maybe she's going through a divorce and wants to find the next love of her life, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, little Susie wants to make the track team. Finding out people's whys and being able to use that uh, in a positive way to motivate them and keep them engaged is arguably one of the most important things you can do as a trainer. Uh, It's not an X's and O's type thing, like how to coach a better squad or write a better program. But if you can hone in on people's whys and what motivates them, you don't have to be like the most rah-rah motivational coach. Uh, I am definitely not that guy. But, you know, if I work with somebody long enough and I can figure out their why, I can motivate them whenever I need to, to get them to train harder, to get a better training effect. So uh, I'll leave you with that. And then you asked about where you can find out more about me. I always give two options. Number one, if you just want to learn more about me, you want some pretty cool free stuff, go to robertsontrainingsystems.com. That's my primary website. I mean, we're talking literally thousands of pieces of content since about 2003. So you've got articles, you've got podcasts, you've got videos on you know, Instagram, YouTube, tons and tons of free stuff. You could never spend a penny with me and get a lot of free information. So If you're new and you want to learn more about me, check that out. Uh, If you want to learn more about my coaching system, how I write programs, how I coach and cue clients, all that good stuff, check out completecoachcertification.com. It is obviously a paid certification, but man, there's a lot of great information in there. And it's it's basically the last 20 years of my life distilled down into 20 to 25 hours of, of really high quality focused information. So wherever you want to start, man, I got something for you. Sweet. Awesome. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you taking
1: the time out of your day. I know you're very busy, um, just to talk shop about, you know, what you're doing and, you know, things that are, have been effective for you for the past, you know, 15, 20
2: years. So appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sissman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person, at prepareforperformance.com. And follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsissman underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.